0: Our scripture passage this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Before we read God's holy word, let us turn to the Lord and ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of this, his word. Let's pray together. Creator God, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Romans 12, 1 through 8, hear the word of the Lord. It is written, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think if service and our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. This past Sunday, Pastor John covered some basics about financial stewardship, like the biblical principle of tithing. If you missed last Sunday's sermon, then I encourage you to go back and listen to it. How we look at money and what we do with the financial resources that have been entrusted to us is not unimportant or spiritually neutral. The Bible actually has a lot to say about the subject of money. And the reason it has a lot to say about this subject is because money can easily be misused. It can be, it can move from being our servant to being our master. And a big part of the problem is how we look at it. We look at it as ours. Being a good steward requires us to recognize, as Pastor John noted last Sunday, that what we have is not ours. What we have has been entrusted to us by the Lord. This is what a steward is, someone who manages something that belongs to someone else. It can be very easy for us to look at our bank accounts and think, well, I earned it. I can do with it what I want. But all that we have has come from the hand of God and by his sovereign care over our lives. Scripture tells us this. And the Lord is not unconcerned with how we manage this important resource. Jesus makes this point very clear in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In this parable, a man leaves to go on a journey and he entrusts his servants with talents. And what was a talent? It was money, a lot of money. In fact, one talent was equivalent to about 20 years worth of wages. In that parable, the man returned from his journey and held the servants accountable for how they had invested this money that belonged to him. And what is the lesson of the parable? That we are the servants who have been entrusted with gifts from the Lord and these gifts must be wisely invested because the Lord will return and hold us accountable for how we use them. But being a wise and faithful manager of financial resources is not the only aspect of being a good steward. We know that our Heavenly Father is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and He doesn't just give us financial gifts. He gives to us in a variety of ways. In fact, my guess is that if we ask the question, if I ask you the question, what is your most valuable resource, many of you would not reply that it is your money. We might just say that time is our most valuable resource. It is the ultimate non-renewable resource. Each day that we're alive, we each receive an equal amount of time, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor in material possessions. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Each of us gets the same exact amount of time. How will you invest it? In Psalm 90, Moses asks the Lord to teach us to number our days. In other words, help us to use our time wisely. The Apostle Paul exhorts the church in Ephesus, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. We are to be good stewards of this precious resource. There is an old adage that if you want to know what you value the most, just look at your checkbook in your personal calendar. And it's somewhat cliched, but it's very true that how you spend your money and your time says much about what is important to you. But when we read the parable of the talents, is the parable really just about money? We probably don't think about money when we hear the word talent, because we use the word talent to mean something else. We use the word talent to mean a skill or an aptitude. And it has come to have this meaning in our language because of this parable, the parable of the talents. The parable, in fact, is really more about the use of abilities that we have than it is about money. So this morning, I want to explore with you the stewardship of our talents. We need to have a basic understanding of our talents and how they are to be used. We're going to do this by way of this Romans 12 passage. And as we think about these special skills and aptitudes that we have, Romans 12 is going to challenge us to recognize three things. Here's my three-point sermon. It doesn't happen often. First, talents are a gift from God given to us by his grace. Talents are a gift from God given to us by his grace. Second, talents have been entrusted to us by God to be used for his glory. Talents have been entrusted to us by God to be used for his glory. And third, Talents are to be diligently employed by us, relying on God's power. Talents are to be diligently employed by us, relying on God's power. So first, talents are a gift from God given to us by His grace. The Apostle Paul makes his appeal here in the first verse of Romans 12 based on the mercies of God. Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, Paul perhaps would not be considered a very effective motivational speaker. He would have almost certainly failed motivational speaking school. You see, most people, before trying to get someone to do a certain thing or behave in a certain way, would take a tried and true approach, like flattery. Everyone knows that if you want to get someone to do something for you, you have to butter them up first, right? You have to tell them how smart they are or how strong they are or how sweet they are or how stylish they are. We do this, don't we? Honey, that dress looks so nice on you. You mind if I go fishing with my buddies later this afternoon? But that isn't what Paul does. Paul, not uncommonly, starts his letters being very honest about who and what we are. In the first three chapters of his letter to the Romans, he says things like this. All are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He will later say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what we wanted to hear was about how we are smart, strong, sweet, and stylish. Instead, he tells us that we are sinners, completely unworthy of God's affection. It is the wrong S word. He does it again at the beginning of Ephesians. In the first two chapters of this letter, Paul tells the recipients that they were dead in their trespasses and sins in which they once walked. How is that for buttering them up? Or how about in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians, Paul tells the church that they were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Here's another S word for you. Strangers. 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 To the family of God. This is who we are outside of God's grace. Sinners, dead in our trespasses, strangers who are outsiders and outcasts, living in darkness and depraved in our thoughts and actions. But Paul establishes this fact in order that we have a realistic picture of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ it is only by God's grace that he has rescued us from our miserable state. By the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, we have been forgiven of our sin and set at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But here is the deal. If we were good people, If we were so smart and strong and sweet and stylish, then we might be tempted to believe that our sin really isn't that bad and that there is something in us that makes us desirable to God. Just in case the recipients of his letter hadn't figured it out, though, Paul makes sure that they understood that they weren't all that great. In fact, they were pretty terrible. They were sinners, dead in their sin, completely incapable of pleasing God. They didn't deserve anything from God but His wrath. But instead of giving them what they deserved, He took His wrath against their sin, and He laid it on His own Son on the cross. This is amazing grace, glorious grace. And when we understand it, we realize that our salvation isn't based on anything that we have done or could do. It is based entirely on God's goodness and grace. God has chosen us solely based on his goodness and love, showing mercy to us in Jesus Christ, justifying us freely by his grace grace through faith. In other words, what Paul does is minimize us in order to maximize God. He shows us who we really are and who God really is. And so Paul makes his appeal here based on this grace. It's a grace that brings assurance, as Paul has said earlier in chapter 8, that no one or nothing can separate those in Christ Jesus from God's love. It's a grace that brings us a hope, eternal life in God's holy and life-giving presence. Paul appealed to this grace in Romans 12, 1, knowing that it is also a grace that motivates us to an appropriate response. And what is an appropriate response to God's grace? To present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. This is an appropriate response to God's grace. To serve the Lord with our minds and with our bodies, with everything that we are. Our motivation to live for the Lord doesn't come from God buttering us up, telling us how great we are. Our motivation is this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is only by God's grace that we have been freed from our sin and saved from God's wrath. Our motivation to serve the Lord is grace and gratitude. But notice what Paul does here. God's grace does not stop at our salvation because God is not satisfied to simply rescue us from our sin. God desires to sanctify us to conform us into the image of his beloved son and to use us as instruments of his glory in the world. So in the sending of his Holy Spirit, God also gives us abilities and talents to serve him and one another. And these two are gifts of God's grace. Look at verse three here. Paul acknowledged that it was by God's grace that he had the gifts to serve the Lord in the way that he was serving him. And it was by this grace given to him that he urged the believers to also use their abilities, their talents, which he was intentional to refer to as gifts as well. In verse 6, he states, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Then he lists these different talents. These are the gifts given by God. So this is our starting point for being good stewards of our talents. It is recognizing that we don't have the talents that we do because of anything that we have done. We did not create them ourselves. We didn't earn them. We didn't deserve them. We have each received our abilities, our talents as gifts of God's grace. In the same way we were freely given salvation in Jesus Christ by God's grace, we have also been given abilities by the Holy Spirit. And since God, in His grace, has freely given us these abilities, then this should motivate us to use them well. But how are we to use them well? And here we come to our second lesson. So second, talents have been entrusted to us by God to be used for his glory. What's the whole passage about? What was Paul urging the members of the church to do here? He was making an appeal to them based on God's mercies to them, urging them to use the gifts God had given them by his grace to serve the Lord and one another. Sometimes we like to pull the first two verses out of the context of this passage as a whole. And we focus solely on presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, being transformed by the renewal of our minds. But Paul's point here is that this is to happen in order that we, as Christians, might take our part in the body of Christ using our gifts. And so Paul addresses this in a couple of ways. You look at verse 3, Paul instructs each person to not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned now probably one of the things that we are prone to do is to be boastful about our talents we do this from a very young age we boast about our athletic ability How fast we can run, how high we can jump, how far we can throw a ball, how well we can dance, or how many flips we can do. Or we boast about how well we do in school, academically, how smart we are, how fast we can read, how well we can comprehend what we are studying. Or we boast about how easily we make friends, how conversational we are, how likable we are. And to some degree, we learn not to vocalize these things as we get older, but that doesn't mean we aren't still real proud of our abilities, does it? So Paul confronts us with a question, should we be overly impressed with ourselves on account of our abilities? Well, Paul's point here is that we ought not to be proud of ourselves for something that we didn't produce, but that we received as a gift of God's grace. And Paul says multiple times in his letters that we should, if we are to boast, that we should boast in the Lord. He has made this point about Abraham earlier in Romans in chapter 4 when he says that if Abraham had been justified by his works, then he would have something to boast about. But Abraham wasn't justified by his works. He was justified by faith as a gift from God. He has no reason to boast in himself then since he hasn't earned his justification, but he has received it as a free gift of God's grace. In 1 Corinthians, Paul makes the point that God uses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong, that no one may boast. Paul also makes the same sort of point in 2 Corinthians 10. So don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought because you have the abilities you have, only because God has been gracious to give them to you. And if you start thinking that you had something to do with your abilities, then it's very easy to convince yourself that those abilities exist to serve you alone. But they aren't. They are there to serve the Lord and others, as Paul makes clear in this passage. But for this reason, we should also not neglect to consider that an aspect of thinking of our abilities with sober judgment, with clear-headedness, includes not undervaluing the abilities that God has given us. Some of us might be prone to boast in our abilities as though they are of our own doing. Others of us might be prone to think that what we have to offer isn't of any value. If we consider Jesus's point in the parable of the talents, Each servant received differing amounts of talents. None of the servants were worthy of the gifts that the master had given to them. The master wasn't under any obligation to give his servants anything at all, but the master did give them these talents. He gave to them all differently, which we might get tripped up on. It might seem unfair that some receive more than others. But each received at least one talent. And we shouldn't miss that one talent was still an enormous sum of money. It's pretty difficult to convert a talent in a modern currency, but some scholars estimate it to be around $600,000. Now, would any of you be complaining if someone gave you $600,000? And the lesson here is clear. None of the servants received an insignificant gift. Each gift was of great value. As one Christian author put it, some are given more, some are given less, but all are given much. Jesus wants us to understand that none of the gifts that we receive from God are insignificant and therefore they should not be undervalued. It is a big deal to God for any of us to think what we have received from his hand is insignificant, and for that reason to be, for that reason to fail to use it well for God's kingdom. Paul is very clear here in Romans 12 that each person has received abilities. They are different, but they are all extremely valuable. This is an aspect of the sober judgment that we are to exercise about ourselves. Paul also says that we are to estimate ourselves according to the measure of faith. Well, what is the measure of faith? It is the standard of our faith. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is by Jesus Christ that we measure ourselves soberly. We are called then to look at ourselves in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, in light of who Jesus Christ was and is, one who humbled himself and took the form of a servant, denying himself, living in perfect obedience to his Father's will, sacrificing himself on behalf of others. If we are measuring ourselves against Christ, the example he set as the one who has gone ahead of us what he has done for us in suffering and dying, should we think ourselves to be great? Should we boast about how wonderful we are? No, of course not. But should we look at ourselves in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and think of ourselves to be without purpose or value? No. Jesus Christ did not die for us that we should be useless or worthless in God's kingdom. Paul says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has a purpose for us each. And if we are living our lives according to the measure of our faith or the standard of our faith, if we are living lives consistent with what we believe, then we are living lives of appropriate response to God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? It looks like using our gifts to serve God in his kingdom. We look at ourselves with sober judgment when we recognize that our abilities that have been given to us by God, that they are of great value and that they are to be used to serve God in his kingdom. And look at the gifts that Paul mentions here. It's a gift of prophecy, of serving, of teaching, of exhortation, of generosity, of leading, of acting mercifully toward others. It's not an exhaustive list of abilities. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list of abilities. Paul mentions some other abilities in his other letters, but every ability on this list is a gift that serves to build up the body of Christ in some way, and this is consistent with what Paul says in other places like 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul states, now, there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good is the building up and functioning of the body of Christ. This whole passage, 1 Corinthians 12, is about there being one body but many members who each serve a unique role for the sake of the body. Paul makes this even more explicit in Ephesians 4. But when the body is built up and edified by all of us sharing our abilities freely with one another, God receives the glory. He is shown to be the great and gracious God that he is. This is what Paul tells us, or Peter tells us, rather, in 1 Peter 4.11. Peter states, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order... That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. But as we consider how we are to use our gifts, this brings us to our third lesson this morning. So, third and finally, our talents are to be diligently employed by us, relying on God's power. We've just seen in 1st. Peter 4.11, that Peter states, we are to serve the Lord in the strength that he supplies. And in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul says that it is God who empowers us to use the abilities he has given to us. Note here in Romans 12, that in giving the list of talents, Paul instructs the members of the church to use these gifts according to the grace given to us. It isn't just that we have different talents by the gift of God's grace. We also only use these talents to God's glory by his grace. Jesus says in the parable of the talents that the master gave to each talents according to his abilities. And if we think about this phrase in terms of our talents being our abilities, then it is a strange phrase, right? The master gives servants abilities according to their abilities, but the word in the Greek is the word for power, providing a little more clarity. The meaning of this phrase then is that God gives abilities to each of us according to the power or capabilities that he has given to us. God gives us abilities, and he gives us the power to use them. So we must rely on God's power and not try to simply use our talents by our own strength. Brothers and sisters, I can preach by my own power all day long, and I can promise you that it won't do much to save lost souls and build up the body of Christ. You can serve in your own power. It won't be nearly as helpful if you are allowing God's power to give you strength. You can evangelize in your own power. It won't be nearly as effective as if you were allowing God's power to give you wisdom in the right words in your conversations. This is what Paul is saying here. Whatever your gift, use it well. Do it to God's glory in God's power. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to cultivate these gifts, to work at them, to try to perfect them, but using them well means doing it in the power that God supplies. As one commentator says, the thought of grace persists. The apostle is not writing about some human excellence, and given here is important. It is not a matter of the believer making an earnest effort in order to produce some spectacular result in Christian character or achievement, but something God has given. At every turn, it is about God's grace. Our talents originate from God as his free unmerited gifts to us. They are empowered by God, and in this way, they are giving God all the glory. So as we think about how we are called to steward the gifts that God has given us, I pray that we would not only think about our financial resources in this season. I really want to encourage you this morning to fill out a pledge card, to commit to giving to the church as an act of spiritual worship, as an act of giving and entrusting yourself to the Lord, but I also encourage you to fill out the form that came with your pledge card in your stewardship packet. Committing yourself to serving a church by offering to use your talents in some way in the life of the church. Jesus warns us not to bury our talents and so reveal ourselves to be lazy and wicked servants. Our talents are buried when we fail to put them to good use in the life of the church. God gives us talents to be used to serve him in his church. This is how God designed the church to function, by everyone playing his or her part. And whether that is writing letters of encouragement, by teaching Sunday school, by changing light bulbs, trimming hedges, by serving as an elder or deacon, or by visiting shut-ins, by serving on a committee, by offering your gifts of artistic design, whether that be by arranging flowers for the sanctuary or by designing stationery, or by doing woodwork. There are many, many ways to serve the body of Christ in the church, and they are all, they are all, each one valuable and important. So I hope that God's grace to you in Jesus Christ will motivate you to serve with joy and gratitude. That it will encourage you to serve to God's glory. That it will challenge you to rely on God's power in your service. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many gifts to us. We acknowledge before you that we are unworthy. We are unworthy of your care over our lives, we are unworthy of your affection. And yet you have chosen to love us and shower your blessings upon us. In grateful response to your amazing grace, help us to use well that which you have entrusted to us. Help us to be good stewards, wise managers of these gifts, seeking to use them to bring you glory. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed from Philippians chapter 2. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe.